it's actually really important for me to own my own imperfection and give myself that grace and, and to teach my kids, like, mom's not perfect. Adults aren't perfect, right? Oh, and yeah. it's important that when we hear something that isn't right or doesn't sit well with us, that we speak up and we say, whoa, 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 hang on a second. Parenting a gender expansive kid means that you and your kid are going to face a lot of people who do not understand gender and a lot of people who have a lot of opinions about how you should raise your child. Some of those people are going to be total strangers. Some will be friends, neighbors, acquaintances. Some will work in your child's school and some will be family members. People love to give unsolicited advice and opinions and not just on this subject. Social media hasn't exactly helped curb this behavior in people. You will absolutely come across people who are going to forbid their child from spending time with yours. Pray for you, which I really don't have a problem with prayer, but I do have a problem with it being weaponized as a way to be condescending, judgmental, or self-righteous. You'll cross paths with people who judge you for your parenting choices in affirming your child and people who outright refuse to use their correct name and pronouns. When you do, it'll hurt. And not just because it's really rude and disrespectful, but also because this parenting thing is really hard and vulnerable and you are doing the very best you can. Parenting a trans kid takes that vulnerability to the next level because it transforms us from already protective and loving parents to fierce mama bears and papasauruses, requiring us to be a defender, advocate, supporter, teacher, and coach in ways we never imagined we'd be called to be when we signed up for the job of mom or dad. You're listening to Camp Wildheart, your guide for raising a transgender child and nurturing an affirming family. I'm your host, Mackenzie Dunham. What I'm really talking about here is advocacy and accountability. And as Brene Brown would put it, speaking truth to bullshit. Hopefully, you'll come across more people than not that are able to own their mistakes and do the work to move through the discomfort of accountability so that everyone can move forward. But since most people find accountability so uncomfortable, chances are you'll come across more people who bounce the pain of it with blame and defensiveness. This is why I've invited Mama Bear and Brave Spirit Carmen to share with us today. Carmen is the mother of three kids and two dogs. She's known a different path of parenting than most of us. Of her three kids, one is medically fragile, two are neurodiverse, one is transgender, and the other is now a tween girl. She's been wading through the tall grass of parenting for quite some time, and through it has really come to know herself and what she stands for really well. She and her spouse have worked hard to create a home where they can and do talk about hard things and lean into difficult conversations regularly. Just a heads up, Carmen and I brought our most authentic selves to Campfire, which means this episode's going to contain some F-bombs. Consider yourself warned. As a reminder, all stories shared by parents at Campfire are done so with the full consent of their child, and identifying details are altered to whatever point a family requests in order to feel safe sharing their story. So Carmen, thanks so much for coming. Welcome to Camp Wildheart. I'm so excited to have you here. I have am I've been dying to get you in here because of the story. As soon as you told it to me, I knew I was like, oh my God, I really need for you to tell all of the other campers this yeah. story. 
That's the first time I've referred to them as campers, <laughs> and it feels a little funny. Uh, Is it? But yeah, that's okay. I like listeners better. I'm going to stick with listeners. Listeners. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Carmen, your family has this incredible value of accountability. And I've heard story after story of how your family embodies this value. And a lot of those stories happen to be about your dad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He's, he's Uh, got some, yeah. He's a good dude and he's willing to learn. (laughs) (laughs) Would you um, share maybe a little bit about um, how family dinners sometimes go at your house? Yeah. We often – so we live in a very – in very close proximity to my parents. They live on the same cul-de-sac as we do. Like, literally, there's just one house between us. And so often, you know, before I'm even out of bed in the morning, Kindle will be up and over at my mom's with my mom doing things or with my dad and doing things or any of the other kids, you know, they're they're super close and it's awesome and we love that. And we often do family dinners together and we get into some pretty tough, tough conversations, serious conversations, valuable conversations, Mm -hmm. um, important conversations that I think courageous conversations. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. That I really believe are important to have around the dinner table. Um, we'll talk about politics. We'll talk about racism. We'll talk about sexism. We'll talk about, you know, anything that's going on in our world, um, and our, our larger world, but also in our smaller, you know, in the kid's school or whatever is happening that day. And when we'll always, you know, discuss it in a big, powerful way. So my dad is, both my parents grew up pretty conservative. And I remember when Kindle transitioned and I had that conversation with them because Kendall asked me to have that conversation first to just kind of be his buffer. And mm-hmm. I intentionally didn't even give them room to disagree with me or to share their opinions because I didn't want to hear it. Mm. I knew that if they shared their initial reaction, it had the potential to be painful for all of us. And, mm-hmm. and cause some real serious damage. And so I basically just said, this is who he is. And you either get on board or you get the fuck out, you know? <clears throat> and I called them to grow. And I, I sat down with my dad and I had a conversation with my dad. And he said, look, I, I don't understand, but I want to. And I said, okay, well, then there's something we, there's, we can go somewhere with that, right? And I remember specifically telling him that either he got on board and he used Kindle's pronouns and he educated himself on the experience of transitioning and being a transgender person in our world, or he couldn't be around his grandkids anymore. Mm. 
And my dad and I have a long history of him saying things that um, are harmful, that are racist or um, sexist or anti-trans. And I call him on it. And we've had some really intense conversations. And so we have a long history of that. And, and often these days, especially when we're talking about politics and what's going on in the world, especially in the United States with COVID and the Black Lives Matter movement, we have these conversations around the dinner table. And Kindle has really picked up on wow, that's not okay. That's really harmful. You can't say that. We don't say that anymore because it is harmful. And whenever, you know, as white people, I think we're really uncomfortable with with being corrected and being called out and we don't always know how to respond very well. That's because we're always right. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I've never been wrong about anything ever. Never. (laughs) Never. Mm -mm. No. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a joke. I know. I, I'm wrong all the fucking time. And I like own 20 that. times a day. Right? That's yeah. really important for me. I never want, and I think you and I have talked about this, for me, perfectionism is a huge shame trigger. And mm-hmm. so it's it's actually really important for me to own my own imperfection and give myself that grace and, and to teach my kids, like, mom's not perfect. Adults aren't perfect. Right. And it's important that when we hear something that isn't right or doesn't sit well with us, that we speak up and we say, whoa, 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 hang on a second. Right. Yeah. Um, So that's, those are really common things to happen at our dinner table. And, and it makes for interesting, interesting dinners, interesting conversations, um, intense. You know, sometimes we have to leave the table and things aren't really settled and we don't always know where we sit with each other, but we always come back around and are able to have those discussions um, once maybe some of the more intense feelings have simmered down a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, Yeah. My dad recently just said some, he was comparing his own growing up experience because he was adopted and he was comparing it rather harmfully uh, to, you know, a black person growing up in a white community. And Kendall was like, whoa, no. And so Kendall and I sat with him and we're like, this is really harmful. And we walked him through it and he was pretty defensive and he, he can be defensive. Um, I would I have to give him credit though eventually he gets there, you know. And so this particular story that you're wanting me to tell uh, yes has to yeah, do with him I being heard. adopted, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that this story comes after I know that I've heard, you know, story after story after story about the dinner table and times that he really put his foot in his mouth. Um, yeah. and then did the work, come through and y'all come back together. So um, so yeah, so then I heard this story that I'm asking you to share and it was just so exciting. So yeah, it's, it has to do with him being adopted. So go ahead. Yeah. I've seen, um, 
so much beautiful growth in my parents. And um, I do want to say that my parents are incredibly loving and supportive and they love Kindle for exactly who he is. Mm -hmm. And they believe 100% in him and that he's showing up in the world just as he is meant to be, you know? Pre-COVID, my dad took him to get haircuts and they would do like their bro-y haircut, like go to lunch and, you know, and it was really special times for for Kindle. And I think they're missing that a little bit. They're a little over me cutting their hair, but. Mm, well, I, it's not quite the same, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm not quite as fun. So I have seen like a lot of really beautiful growth in my parents and, you know, they fully support the protests and the Black Lives Matter movement and they support my transgender kiddo and, and they're really doing the work. These conversations Mm -hmm. matter, right? And I think that that's a huge part of why I feel so strongly about having these conversations at the dinner table. They are and should be dinner table conversations. So um, my dad is adopted and he just met his adoptive mom last year. Um, And then she passed away and he found out who his dad was. Uh, they were never together, but so he has two sets of half siblings that he is, you know, almost 70 and just discovered that he has this whole family and he grew up in his adopted family as an only child. Wow. Yeah. So it's like, it's been a really intense process and a journey for him Mm -hmm. And, and beautiful and hard. And so his half sister was flying in from Ohio and he had discovered that his niece actually lives not far from us near Portland. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to meet his sister. And with COVID and, you know, things in our family and having to be super, super careful, none of us were comfortable going to a restaurant or going out in public. We haven't gone out in public at all. And so my mom really sweetly and intentionally like set up this outdoor, socially distanced, um, like happy hour (laughs) where (laughs) she put out happy hour platters on like, you know, over six feet away over here for them and a bottle of wine and like a jug of water and then a platter over here for us outside, you know, so we were all totally social distanced and the kids were excited. You know, like we've been mm-hmm. freaking quarantined and like they're like, right person. <laughs> and we were sitting and chatting and having wine and the kids were eating their little appetizers and reading their comic books. And we we're all hanging out. And, um, Camden, my youngest, started telling this story. Camden used to have this really fun, long, blonde, like shock blonde, curly surfer boy hair, just like wavy and wild and so fun. And we all loved it. And he was telling this story about how some fucking old ass dude that was a complete asshole was like called him a little girl. And he was so 
offended by that, um, that he wanted to cut his hair. But he was telling the story and he was really, he was really upset about it. And my dad's half sister leans in and says, well, at least they're not calling you like gender fluid or whatever fancy, whatever weird terms they're using these days. And I turned and I like Kendall and I made eye contact and I could just see his physical like. It was, it was violent. Like he just, he had such a physical reaction and he got up and he was like, his body language was like, fuck this, I am out. And he started to walk away back to our house and I followed him. I just looked around and I, I looked at them and I got up and I left. And As I was walking away, I was putting my arm around Kendall's shoulder and I heard my dad say, my grandson is trans and I love him very much. And I was so fucking proud of him in that moment and concerned about my child And I put my arm around Kendall and he was hurting and I was hurting and it was just so fucked up. And I was so proud of him for walking away in that moment. And we went back to my front porch and you can't see my parents' front porch from our front porch. It's angled. And um, I was talking to him and he was so angry and so hurt and he was right. It was hurtful. It was, it was awful. It was violent what she said. And I know <laughs> it it was, I don't have a better word. Like it, he had a physical response, you know, it's like yeah. so wrong and so harmful. And Kindle, I think all of my kids really, uh, when they're hurting, they just need me to sit with them mm-hmm. in that and acknowledge their pain and validate like what they're feeling, right? Yeah. Um, reflect back to them that I hear what they're experiencing and they're not alone and I'm in it with them. And so we sat together and <laughs> My mom, she like picked up something of Kindle's, right? And was like, fuck this, I'm out. And so she came over (laughs) to my front porch and was just like, what do you need? What can I do? How can I help? This is not okay. How can I help? What can I do? And I said, you know, um, I just need you to, to send the other kids home you do your thing. I don't know if we're going to be back over there. I I need to focus here and on Kindle right now. And so she sent the other kids home. I did have a conversation with Camden, um, with Kindle about how like centering himself in, in that story, in that way, in front of his brother, um, was really painful for his brother because his brother, um, 
is misgendered regularly and often, and people don't have the same kind of empathetic, shocked reaction when Kindle's misgendered versus when Camden, this little cisgender boy, is misgendered, right? Mm -hmm. Like, people don't respond with the same level of, like, oh, my God, that's so awful, right? And and it was really stark in that moment, and Kindle picked up on it and was really hurt by that. And so I had that conversation with Camden about, you know, how did it feel for you? when you were misgendered and he was like it was it really hurt me mom and I was like yeah it does hurt when we get misgendered and your brother gets misgendered all the time yeah regularly and it is so incredibly painful for him and he yeah. was like oh and I was like so I'm gonna need you to stop telling that story hmm yeah. And he was like, okay. Okay, mom. He was really sweet about it. So, and so his siblings at that point, my mom went back, obviously had gone back and sent them home and his siblings were with him in that moment, recognizing that was really painful and that was really not okay. And we all just really took the time to be there with him. And then Hadley and Camden went back inside and I looked at Kendall and I said, we have a couple of choices here, buddy. I said, we can be done. We don't have to go back. You can be completely done with this conversation and that is okay. Mm -hmm. You can also go back over there and you can say what you said was wrong. And it was really hurtful. And you owe me an apology. And he sat with that for a little bit. And I said, he said, will you be with me, mom? And I said, I'll always be with you, buddy. I'll stand beside you. I'll stand behind you. I'll stand in front of you wherever you need me to be. I'll be here. I'll hold your hand. And he said, okay. I want to go back over there. I said, okay frantically texting my mom hey we're coming back and expecting an apology (laughs) so i'm like frantically texting my mom and then we start walking back over there and i'm holding up my phone and they're kind of over here so they can't quite see me because the angle of the houses and i'm holding up my phone and my mom had already seen my text message and had said (laughs) Kendall's coming back over here and he is expecting an apology. Like we are all expecting an apology. Mm -hmm. And my dad said that my mom had later on after um, my dad said that my mom had just kind of like prepped it perfectly, like, right. And then we showed up and I'm holding Kendall's hand and I sit down and he's sitting on my lap and my dad's, Half-sister says, Kendall, can I whisper in your ear? Uh, no. COVID. Gross. And gross. Regardless. No. He doesn't know her. Right. And I'm a firm believer when you fuck up publicly. You apologize. You apologize publicly. 
Let's just, you know? And so I said, no, no, you cannot whisper in his ear. And Kendall was like, no, I'm not a yes to that. I am, I am, I am definitely a no to that. And Kendall sat in my lap and said, I was, had my arms wrapped around him. And I said, you know, we're here because we're expecting an apology. That was really incredibly harmful. And I want to point out that Kendall is trans and we are incredibly proud of him. And you should never make statements like that. It was really hurtful and it was not okay. And she starts to cry and is like, I'm so sorry. I just, I didn't mean to hurt you. I didn't know. You're a really great boy. I think you're really sweet. And like, nobody told me that you're trans. Mm. It doesn't matter. You don't fucking say that. And I said, you know, it doesn't really matter if anybody told you that or not. You can't tell someone's gender just by what you see on the outside, period. And you can't say hateful anti-trans things like that ever. Mm-hmm. And she was just like crying and then she starts talking about how She's really sorry and she's just an old woman and, you know, she doesn't understand all these newfangled ideas about gender. And it was just – she just kept digging in deeper and deeper and the apology was just getting – like, it was like layers of harm upon layers of harm. Mm -hmm. And Kendall finally looked at her and he just goes – Thank you for the apology. I'm going to leave now. And he grabbed my hand and we walked away together with, you know, our heads held high and peaced out. My parents did their thing um, wrapping up Mm -hmm. (laughs) this whole meeting. Uh, By that point, they were pretty frustrated and hurt and... I think my dad, you know, had some real disappointment. This is just really gross for him, right? Like, yeah. And shortly after she left, my parents came over to my house and we were all sitting in the living room together Kendall, Hadley, Camden, my husband, um, my parents. And we all sat there and just talked about how problematic and harmful her apology was and how it wasn't okay that Kendall had to experience that or go through that and that we we all need to be better. And my parents talked about things that they learned about how an apology can really double down and be even more harmful than yeah. even the initial statement sometimes, you know? Yeah. Um, Kendall – said to me before my parents had come over and said, mom, I really wish my therapist was available to talk to my therapist right now. I don't know if you want me to say that that's you. You can say that that's me. Okay. My, I love Ken- that that's what he wanted. 
Yeah. He, and I, I loved it too, honestly, because I thought it was really powerful that he recognized that that was a really intense moment and it was something that he could process with you. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, yeah. And that you were one of his people. Yeah. I thought that was really fucking cool. And Me powerful. Too. I love that. You know? I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and then my parents came over and we all talked and my parents shared what they learned about this whole process about, you know, speaking up and it being the right thing to do and loving their grandchild and, and how loving is, is, is an action. Mm-hmm. Right. And they really loved him in that moment. And, and then we all circled around him and told him that it wasn't okay, that that was incredibly painful. And, and we were with him and he wasn't alone and he didn't have to feel through it or navigate it on his own. That we were all with him and, and, we always will be, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then my parents left. And he said, that was really hard, Mom. It was really painful. But, like, I'm okay. And I was just so proud of him and proud of my parents and proud of, you know, Kendall's siblings and his dad and everyone who just held that space for him and spoke up when it mattered. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it always matters, right? Whenever someone is saying something harmful, it always matters that we speak up. Mm -hmm. And I was really proud of my dad that, like, you know, here he is meeting his half-sister for the first time and, like, all of the emotions and everything that goes along with that. And he's like, whoa, time out. You will not fuck with my grandchild here. You will not make him feel less than. He is beautiful and we love him, and you get on board or you get the fuck out. Yeah. That's just so huge for your dad. Huge for Kendall. Yeah. You know, huge for you. Yeah. After all those conversations and all that work and all of the emotional effort you've put into creating this accountability culture in your home and having these really brave conversations all the time. just a beautiful beautiful thing and I just am so proud of Kendall for like standing up for himself and for t- telling you and asking for what he needed mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. gosh because I mean think about that even that moment where he walked away right as adults 
how much have we even conditioned ourselves? How often have you ever just been like, fuck you, I'm out, you know? No, I don't know how I can count. I mean, I can't count how many times I've sat in painful situations, right? Where in hindsight, I think like, why the fuck did I stay there? Yes. But countless times have I just sort of like, okay, I guess I'm just going to like shrink into this. Oh, and thing. it feels so gross and crunchy and small and you just want to like disappear. Yeah. It feels awful. Yeah. How amazing that Kendall, he's what? Is he 12? Mm-hmm. He just turned 12. Yeah, so I thought he's just barely 12. Has that skill, ability, and permission for himself. I think it's important for all of us to realize that no matter the relationship, if it's toxic and if it's causing you harm, you have the right to walk away. Mm-hmm. But it's especially important for transgender folks to know their value and to know that it doesn't fucking matter if someone is causing you harm, you have the right to walk away. No matter who that person is. That is right. And the rest of us need to figure out how the fuck to take correction and deal with it and apologize in a meaningful way. (laughs) Hells yeah. Hells yeah. Yeah, I think we talked before um, at some point in our relationship where uh, we talked about when people correct you, right? How valuable and important it is rather than to apologize, 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 therefore making the other person feel like they now have to comfort you. Yeah. Um, but instead to say thank you. Mm. Thank you so much for having the courage to tell me that I did that wrong. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you having told me that so that I can improve the way that I talk about people, the way that I interact with people, right? If you, you could have let me just float on by yeah, and you didn't, and I'm grateful for it. Yeah. And how many conversations we've had that, um, I'm thinking like the school district and teachers and, um, Kendall's friends that it's like, listen, if I didn't care, if I wasn't invested in this community, if I wasn't invested in this relationship, I wouldn't bother correcting you because mm-hmm. it takes a lot of fucking energy. Yeah. And a lot of vulnerability, right? So that's why we say that's, that's, that's your point, right? Thank you. I see that that took a lot on your part. Mm-hmm. It didn't take a lot on my part to fuck up, right? Nope. Mm-mm. I can do that all day long, like we said in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's easy. <laughs> all day long. Yeah. Well, Carmen, I just want to say thank you again for having the courage and vulnerability to come and share your story. It's the first time I heard it. I like. I think I cried three times, and my jaw was on the floor like four times, and I was like, oh, my God. And, you know... I cried in here as we went through it again. And I just, I love your family. I love the work that you do within your family. Um, and I'm just so honored to be able to 
to be a part of your guys' story. Thanks for being on one of our people. Absolutely. Go Team Kindle. Yeah. Go Team Kindle. Advocating for your child within your family is a common experience for parents of a transgender kiddo. Some parents have no trouble pushing back against their parents or siblings or grandparents, but many parents wonder how to go about supporting their kid without rocking the boat with the rest of their extended family. Some parents have spent their entire lives playing by the rules set for them by their family. To have a child that breaks those rules and forces them to reckon with the armor that they've been carrying around for whatever reason can be incredibly disorienting. To help us steer the path of advocacy, I've solicited the help of Jen Burleton. Jen is considered an authority and nationally recognized leader on issues relating to transgender and gender diverse children and youth. In addition to her role as founder and program director of the Transactive Gender Project at Lewis and Clark Graduate School of Education and Counseling, she has served on the Oregon Health and Sciences University Transgender Program Advisory Committee and the LGBTQ Child Welfare Work Group for Multnomah County. She was awarded the 2014 Multnomah County Sci Award for Lifetime Commitment to Social Justice. On top of all of this, she's one of the few remaining elders of the trans community and an absolute delight. I fully intend on making her one of my new best friends and a regular here at camp. So I have a question. So I'm confused. So I have a question. But what about? So I got a question. Can you tell us what recommendations that you have for parents who are trying to grapple with having to become an advocate for their kid, especially for parents who maybe have spent their entire lives trying to fly under the radar? Well, Mackenzie, thank you. It's my pleasure to be here on the podcast with you. And that is that is kind of the eternal repeating question is that how do those of us that um, want to be allies for the entire family, not just the child, but if they're a minor, the way that their family responds to, reacts to, and embraces their gender identity or expression um, will define their life. They, they don't have any choice because they're in somebody else's custody. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's so vitally important to emphasize um, and what we try to do at Transactive Gender Project is to is to let folks know that we are ready to meet them where they're at, right? So look, we understand you're doing something that we at Transactive Gender Project or that we advocates will never do. We will never raise your child. Yeah. Right? We're not going to have to put food on their table every morning. We're not going to have to get them to school every day. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not going to have to tuck them in at night as much as that would be my favorite part. And I say that in as non-creepy a way as I possibly can. Um, So you have all these jobs to do. The one job you're not really prepared for, particularly when you first find out, is that you're not a gender expert. You have a lot of questions. Probably the same way you had a lot of questions when you were first going to become a parent. Yeah. You, You went from the idea of, oh, I'd like to be a mommy or I'd like to be a daddy. That'll be fun. Mm-hmm. To the reality of, oh my God, I'm a mommy or I'm a daddy, <laughs> um, <laughs> or maybe you're both, and that's cool too. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people are prepared to uh, conceptually or theoretically 
well, if my kid was gender transgender or gender diverse, I'd just love them right through it. And I think that's a great place to start. Yeah. But the the social dynamics that you as an, an adult individual and that your family has to deal with and projections about the social dynamic your child is going to have to um, face throws a whole other perspective on how do we respond to this. Mm-hmm. So that's a really long way of getting to my point, which is that um, it's very important that you find someone else that is going through this journey with you, whether that's another parent, preferably, and they're out there. They're out there in these virtual times. Um, They're out there in the real world. You'd be amazed. In the Portland metro area, I mean, we've done the demographics the population studies and everything, we're currently uh, over the last, I'd say five years, we've worked with more than 450 families of trans or gender diverse youth in mm-hmm. the Portland metro area alone. And demographically, we figure that's about 10% of the total that there would be in the Portland metro area. So I think that's a low number, actually. A low I, I think estimate. it's probably, yeah I, I, yeah. I always try to underestimate so that I don't get accused of inflating Right. The other thing is, is to look for, um, use the internet, use the Google tool, use the Bing tool or whatever your browser of choice is, your search engine of choice, and type in gender affirming support, right? That's, you can say, type in other search terms if you want. Find something that's close to you and arrange a time to have a conversation with them. Connect with other people that are experiencing this. Because what you'll find is you'll make connections with people that are at different stages of adapting to the fact that their child is having a different gender experience than the parent was assuming they were having. And you will do a great job at working that out yourselves without the help of any outside people like me or a gender therapist, um, because you're going to just speak truth to each other. And truth is powerful. Community is so important. And if I could peg down a theme from everything every single person has said so far on the podcast. It is find community, find somebody to talk to about this, find have, find other parents. Um, and that's one of the main reasons why I really wanted to make Camp Wildheart Camp Wildheart, because I yeah. wanted it to be a place for parents to be able to come and find each other. I want to go to Camp Wildheart. I know, me too. I can't wait till it can really exist. So you bring up a really good point that I think every parent has probably experienced as they go to Google, um, either for medical advice, as we've all done, and I'm embarrassed <laughs> to admit how often that's happened. I have at least 14 Google. rare diseases that are going to kill me based upon what the internet told me about my symptoms. So I've had cancer six times, according to Google. So, and my doctor never seems to agree. Mazel tov in your recoveries. Thank you very much. Um, how do you like? How do you recommend parents sort through all of the information and misinformation that they're gonna find when they type in "my kid's transgender" or "my right. kid just told me that I'm trans, they're transgender"? What does that even mean? How do you recommend they this, navigate that? This is another place. That's that's such a. It's such a timely um, and an important question. I don't think it's a surprise to anybody that will be listening to this podcast that the internet is probably the most powerful source of um, 
access to great information, to difficult to find information that there's ever been. And it is also literally a cesspool for all of the ideological garbage that um, people worldwide want to not only dump out there for others to see, but convince you that, that this is the real deal. We only have to look at our current political situation to, to know um, how, how damaging propaganda and disinformation can be. And sadly, yeah. we're in a time where the amount of disinformation that is being distributed about transgender, non-binary, queer, etc., youth, is being ramped up exponentially um, with the sole purpose of creating confusion and doubt in you, the new parent who's realizing that, or, the, or the, the, maybe you're the older parent, but the person who's new to realizing your child is gender diverse. As an overall piece of guidance, I would say going to religious sources whose primary focus is the spread of their religion or the, the teaching of their religious uh, ideologies and beliefs mm -hmm. is a real crapshoot. It's a real crapshoot. And I would recommend that you don't do that because sadly, there are certain religious factions that are listed as hate groups by the Southern Poverty Law Center. I mean, they're literally listed as hate groups because their belief system um, is very destructive to the lives of trans people of all ages. Yeah. So um, that being said, if you are in what's called a welcoming and affirming church, and you know it to be that, um, United Church of Christ, um, Unity Church, um, others. Some, some Methodist churches. <laughs> some Methodist churches, absolutely. Um, absolutely, actually, Methodist church, uh, depending on where they are, um, <laughs> and depending on who the pastor is. I mean, sometimes it comes right down to who is your faith leader, right? Yeah, who's leading. But in general, I would say go to a reputable allied organization and ask them to and share with them what you found. Hey, I found this thing from, I'm just going to go ahead and throw this name out there, the American College of Pediatricians. Mm -hmm. um, and they say that I shouldn't support my kid, that this is all a scam. They'll tell me that there's between a 60 and 95% chance that my kid's going to change their mind. Aside, um, science doesn't, doesn't include 35% um, either ors. Well, we mm -hmm. proved that in 60 to 95% of the time, that's, that's a... It's a big margin of error. It's a big margin of error. <laughs> yeah, it's a big margin of error. So right off the bat, that should be a, a dog whistle to you. Um, mm -hmm. that, nah, I think they're pulling this out of there, you know, somewhere. So I would vet any information you find, and vet is just, you know, a, a word for confirm the validity, the authenticity of it with someone that um, has an objective opinion. Yeah. Right. I also tell people when they aren't sure, um, like, is this a good source or a not good source? I, the first thing I say is who's paying for it? Right. Right. Like, follow, yeah, follow, follow the money. Follow the money. <laughs> follow mm -hmm. the money. I hope this episode left you feeling a bit more prepared to do the necessary and important work of advocating for your child, be it within your own family, their school or somewhere else. If your upbringing was anything like mine, you were probably raised to not rock the boat. I like to say now that I'm in recovery from lifelong people-pleasing. 
Some days I do better than others, but I have a mantra that inspires me to find the courage to show up and make waves where needed. I'm constantly brave and afraid. They go together, and I hope you'll join me in living that paradox. Camp Wildheart and our community of listeners are here to support you through this journey. So if there's anything we can do to support you in supporting your kid, please let us know. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram as Wild Heart Society, and you can send us an email at camp at wildheartsociety.org. Thanks again to Carmen for sharing her story and to Jen for sharing her expertise. To learn more about the work that Jen is doing or to get connected to a professional advocate dedicated to supporting trans youth, check out the Transactive Gender Project at Lewis and Clark College at graduate.lclark.edu slash programs slash continuing underscore education slash transactive. I'll put a link to it and all of the other resources that Jen mentioned in our show notes. Thanks again for joining us for camp. Be sure to subscribe for free to the podcast so you don't miss future campfires and give us a rating. Rating the podcast helps people find us and we want to make sure that anyone who wants or needs one knows that there's a bunk for them at Camp Wildheart.